Pursue your purpose, speak your truth, deal with adult bullies, cope with failure, live beyond fear, establish values, set boundaries, move past trauma. These are all the themes in my Amazon bestseller, The Smart Girls Handbook. Tribers, get in close. For 15 years, I have been searching for a book that didn't exist. So I am thrilled to share that I decided to write it. The Smart Girls Handbook is available to buy now from wherever you get your books and also in Canada, the United States of America, New Zealand and Australia. Everything we do is a response to something you have asked for and girl have you been begging me for a book for years. Who is it for you? The reviews are outstanding, the press has been phenomenal and I am overwhelmed by the amazing support it has had already. This isn't my book but our book. I realised after my talks around the world women would be queuing for hours just to ask me one question. I didn't want them to just walk away but to have a tangible source to have forever and this is it. This is refreshing never before read content that will inspire, motivate, empower, inform and entertain you. It's full of my personal development tips that have got me living as my most authentic and highest self, literally glowing from within. My most vulnerable moments and hilarious stories that will resonate with you. The Smart Girls Handbook is a celebration of womanhood and the book missing from your library. So grab your copy today, tag me on Instagram at smartgirltribe and I will send you an exclusive gift just to say thank you. Hello, Smart Girl Tribers. Welcome back to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast. Today, I am joined with the amazing psychotherapist, Vicky Botnick, all the way from California. In this podcast episode, we talk about codependency. Are you in a codependent relationship? How can you start setting boundaries? What does an upbringing with codependency look like? And how does it then manifest in romantic relationships? I loved this episode. And there is a special something at the end for all of my single ladies out there enjoy. Hi Vicky, thank you so much for coming on to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast today. Could you please explain to our audience what codependency is? Yes, hi Scarlett, thank you so much for having me. Codependency is, it's a relationship pattern, typically marked by some sort of serious imbalance. So originally it was thought to be where one person was doing all the giving and one person all of the taking. And the giver was sort of more aware of their partner's needs than their own and really would lose track of how they feel and how they deserve. But in my practice, I see it in a slightly more complicated way. It tends to be more of a relationship dynamic in which both of the partners contribute. Um, They can sometimes each be giving too much and taking too much at the same time. We sometimes describe this as um, each partner kind of doesn't know where they end and their partner begins. Mm-hmm. So this could look like one person doing all the giving and the other all the taking. It often looks just like both people being highly reactive to each other because they can't feel okay unless their partner is okay or unless their partner is okay with them. Um, somebody's always angry and somebody's always hurt. So a, a, a lot of volatility. And then another way it can show up is when one person's very controlling and the other quite passive. Um, The one, the controller feels that they have to fix everything. Their partner ends up feeling either rebellious or withdrawn. They sort of get quite passive about it. So let's say I'm codependent and my partner leaves the house or goes to a dinner, let's say, with a dirty shirt on. I'm worried about how this reflects on him. And because I don't have a clear sense of the boundaries between me and him, it makes me worry about how that reflects on me. Okay, so he's wearing the dirty shirt, but I'm worried how I, you know, how I look in that. So then I either nag and criticize him all the time, or I end up washing and ironing all of his shirts and checking him before he leaves the house to make sure he's perfect. I forget that adults don't take care of other adults, like the kid care of children. And that, um, that dynamic can put a lot of strain on relationships. Why is codependency such a bad thing? Because surely it could mean that you're holding your partner accountable. Well, it's very hard on the people involved. It's pretty painful. 
a healthy dynamic is one where we care about each other and we are looking out for each other and we were holding each other accountable, but not to the detriment of our own needs, not to the erasure of our own self, right? Um, we don't try to feel completed by our partner or think they can be everything to us. Codependency doesn't allow relationships to be full and honest and independent where each person grows on their own and then brings their growth back to the relationship. So it becomes, it stays like stimulating, right? That growth could look like having other friends, having other interests, traveling, even being attracted to other people, which is actually a normal thing to happen to adults, right? But in a codependent relationship, those kind of things feel so threatening, so um, scary. And so a codependent relationship then becomes sort of like a closed system and kind of stagnant and very often volatile with each person getting more needy, more depressed, more anxious. It can even look like um, people forming relationships that are abusive. Mm -hmm. How do we know if we are co-independent? How are we able to analyze ourselves to work out if we are the codependent ones in the relationship. Let me give you a list of, of symptoms. How it works is that the family of origin is one where typically the parents are either overprotective or underprotective in some way. And I can go over that more later. But whenever parents aren't able to provide a really stable, supportive, nurturing home, the child reacts in a, in a few very specific ways they might become a caretaker, right? If your home isn't safe, you become the one who is responsible for keeping everyone cared for. And then all of these patterns then re get recreated in our adult relationships. The child might become a perfectionist. If your home was chaotic, you learn to be very vigilant and careful and responsible all the time. And you feel like your worth is based on your ability to keep everything really tightly managed. Uh, you might lack trust because you will have learned that the people who say they love you can also hurt you. That makes it very hard to trust an adult relationship where the other person says they love you. How can I hold on to that, right? They very often become people pleasers. So kids who aren't well cared for at home, they get very, very good at reading a room. It's almost like they've got this big antenna on their head to make sure of what other people are needing and feeling so that they can um, be good at uh, meeting those needs and keeping the peace. The main characteristic of codependency is, is struggling with boundaries. And so that's a really good sign that you're in a codependent relationship. Those kids who don't have a chance to grow independently from their parents, they miss out on a really necessary developmental phase and they might grow up thinking that how other people feel and act is related to how they feel and act. Lack of separation. And they also might become really controlling. If you grow up where other people are out of control, let's say your father is an addict and he is utterly chaotic, um, then you want to fix him all the time. You want to crack down on his behavior in, a, in order to feel like you're doing your job to keep the family together and you'll carry that to your spouse. Some other signs are people who are um, very easily feel guilty or flawed, who are cut off from their own feelings or reactions, who lack emotional control, really have trouble regulating their own feelings, and people who feel very alone, keep themselves probably pretty alienated from other people by not accepting much help from them. Those are, you know, it's not like everybody who lacks emotional control is codependent, but those are some pretty good um, telltale signs. Mm -hmm. Are there any thoughts that we tell ourselves that almost enable or encourage or even push us to be codependent or more codependent? In your experience, are there any narratives that we spin in our heads 
that push or create codependency? Yeah, absolutely. And these are ones that come up in my practice a lot. And I might um, sort of put a big star next to them and say, oh, there, there it is again. There's that thought of, um, I have to keep the peace at whatever cost to myself. My partner's happiness is my responsibility. How they act is a reflection on me. Um, I base my mood on how they are feeling. Do you ever have that experience where you're having a great day and then your partner comes home and they're angry and suddenly you're scared or angry Mm -hmm. or having a bad day, but it wasn't your mood to begin with. So that takes some work to sort of separate that out. Some other thoughts might be, um, I need other people's approval. I can't focus on me because that would be selfish. And then I can't kind of make decisions without my partner's approval. I need to check in on everything with them, not just because they want approval, but also because I don't actually know what's what's okay. Mm-hmm. It's a wow. lack of trust in oneself. Mm. When we are codependent, are we typically only codependent in romantic relationships or there are there other ways we can be codependent? Codependence can show up in any relationship. Parents can be this way with children um, and friendships can veer into the dynamic. Mm-hmm. I had a client the other day who uh, her best friend is going through some really difficult struggles and my client couldn't get out of bed for the whole day. You know, her friend was the one in pain, but she has very little sense of the boundary between them. And so the pain becomes her own. Mm-hmm. Um with parenting, it's a little bit more complicated because it's really hard for any parent not to feel their child's pain. That is sort of part of parenting. And there's a, a phrase, you know, you're only as happy as your least happy child, and that's mm-hmm. pretty normal. But we work hard to make sure that our children know that they're separate from us, that they have a chance to rebel and grow on their own. And that they don't feel like they have to do everything to please us or, and we don't feel like everything they do reflects on us. Mm -hmm. Does codependency show up differently in men and women? Not that I'm aware of. It kind of relates more to personality type than to gender. Mm. It might be more common in people who have had early life trauma. They're in a close relationship with someone with a substance abuse disorder um, or they have a lot of anxiety or a huge need for approval right so it is personality based but I have plenty of male clients who feel overly responsible for say providing for their family members or how their family members act and I have plenty of women who are taught to be the mom to everyone around them in order to feel lovable mm-hmm. and women probably tend to be people pleasers a little bit more than men so it can show up differently for different genders but it's been shown actually to be pretty evenly distributed but you know remember i also believe that codependency is a two way street it's not it's not typically just one member of the couple who has it mm-hmm. so i often see them switching roles Um, and both being overly reactive to the other. And of course, here I'm assuming that the couple is two different genders, which it isn't always, but when it is, I don't see it affecting one gender more than the other. Neither is able to set a boundary and and then be okay with their partner struggling with that boundary. Mm -hmm. I read that codependent women tend to be the product of narcissistic parenting. So could you maybe explain this in further depth, please, Vicky? Yeah. Codependency issues are thought to develop in any family system with poor boundaries. When someone's raised by parents who are either overprotective, which can look like, I don't know, like a tiger mom who's kind of trying to control everything her child does, or a helicopter parent who is very concerned about their child's safety or is sort of doing too much for their kid, or underprotective parents, which is typically abusive or neglectful or addicted. So in these families, kids aren't allowed to explore their own interest. 
They have to caretake their parents. Uh, and so they don't learn who they are. And instead, they get their good feelings about themselves from, by, from how other people see them. So it's all outer focused instead of a, a strong inner sense of self. So let me kind of outline how that works with each mm -hmm. type of those parents. Um, the addicted parent. Very often the child role becomes to enable the user and to put aside their own needs in order to take care of the parent. Uh, and originally the term codependent was used to describe the way that the sober partner was drawn into and unconsciously helped to maintain an addictive system. It, with an abusive parent, whether that's physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, the child's needs are just negated. Um, so they become unable to assert themselves or even know what they should ask for. Some parents are overly needy. That's your narcissism, Scarlett, um, where it's all about them, right? So the child has to suppress their sense of self in order to accommodate their parent. And they come to see their role as someone who only takes care of others and never kind of knows what, what they need or has a right to need anything. They get their sense of self and their confidence from this role and can be really afraid to let it go in adult relationships. Then there's neglectful parents who obviously create the fear in a child that they're going to be abandoned, right? And so they have this terror of being left and then they're going to bend over backwards to keep their partners happy because they're afraid it could fall apart. And finally, when a child is bullied, so that can be from parents from siblings, from peers, that leads to chronically low self-esteem and can trap someone into feeling insecure in relationships. A lot of times people grow up, if they've been bullied, they kind of have this assumption that people aren't going to like them, often for some reason that they can't even fathom. And so they teach themselves how to figure out what other people want and need and what makes other people happy and try to provide that as much as possible. Now, in the other direction, if the parent is overprotective, then the child never gets to experience a relationship with healthy limits. And instead, they learn that love means trying to be involved in every area of someone else's life. All of those family systems we call emotionally enmeshed. And the parent is sort of relying too much on the child to either parent them or be their friend. They might talk about things you shouldn't talk about with kids, like their own sexual or personal relationships or their money problems. And the kids are not ready for that. They feel sometimes a real intense shame and guilt that they have to try to provide this for their parents, but they can't or they don't want to. And they're desiring an independent life. What are some common codependent patterns? Well, a lot of times these relationships start very intensely. There's a lot of magnetism and it's very sexy and, and each person feels really whole and, you know, filled up in the beginning. Um, this can include a lot of manipulation and mind games. Uh, it can include a lot of walking on eggshells with your partner certainly is going to look like spending a lot more time taking care of your partner and anticipating their needs and cleaning up their messes than you're spending on yourself. And then it quickly leads to some negative patterns, intense arguments, jealousy. A lot of times codependent people are, are so scared that um, I'm going to get erased if you have these interests and these friends outside of me. And it leads to policing, like uh, checking out their phone, right? Looking through their phone records, um, sometimes following them and, and trying to keep tabs on them. And while the other person is hiding things and lying, even if they're not doing anything wrong, just because the dynamic has gotten so toxic. And then finally, if you see yourself having repeated relationships with people who are hurt or addicted or need rescuing, you may be codependent. One thing that has come up, I've noticed during this conversation, is the concept of boundaries. And I know 
often when it comes to boundaries, it's really about owning your own needs. And codependency really means dismissing our own needs. But let's be honest, a lot of people struggle to work out their needs. So being the expert, do you have any advice here, Vicky, for anyone who is hoping to figure out their needs? What are maybe some tangible tips that you would recommend? Yeah, right. So as you're saying, having no real stable sense of self means I don't even know what I want. So I can't tell you how to treat me well. And I might not be aware that you're hurting me. Or I might be aware that you're hurting me and not know that that's not okay, right? Or I might hurt you and think that's okay because I haven't been taught appropriate boundaries going in either direction. So the answer is trying to build your consciousness that you've been hurt. If you can't tell the feeling, then at least you can look at the behavior. A lot of times after we've been hurt, we do something kind of self-destructive. So we might... I don't know, have a phone conversation with our partner and think that it's been just fine. And then spend, you know, stay up way too late that night scrolling through Instagram. What do we call it? Doom scrolling and just feeling crappy about it and waking up exhausted the next day. And we think, why did I do that? That was so sort of self-destructive, right? When you catch yourself doing something that you know just hurt you, Take that opportunity to work backwards. Say, was I hurt by something earlier? Um, What did I want to happen instead? What could I have asked for in that moment? This is where working with a therapist can be really helpful. It helps to bounce ideas off of someone who has really clear boundaries to get a sense of what it's okay for you to ask for in a relationship. You know, therapy aims to make the unconscious conscious, right? So it draws out what you feel, what the words are for those feelings, and what's okay for you to feel. I have some clients who come in, if I ask them, what did that feel like? They either say, I don't know, or they might say frustrating. You know, frustrating or upsetting, they can, they can see. But anything more complicated than that, they just don't even have the words for So we can do sessions and sessions on just sort of identifying what different feelings might be called, what another person would experience on those, really drawing that out. So for anyone listening, thinking, okay, I would love to go away and have this conversation. It could be with a partner, but equally it could be with a friend, a sibling, a parent, and they wanted to express their needs. Would you be able to give some examples as to what this conversation could possibly look like? Because is it as specific as saying, I need romance in this relationship, or I need to trust you, I need to set a boundary that we don't have a television in the bedroom? What are some very clear-cut examples? I mean, it really could be anything. And the truth is that conversation is a two-way street. So we start with just literally whatever it is that we're feeling. It's all okay. But we don't expect that our partner is going to accept every single thing that we ask for, or that's going to be okay with them. So as long as we have adult-to-adult communication, in which I say, I I could say something ridiculous, you know, like, I want a house full of frogs. And you say, I don't really want a house full of frogs. Well, that's a start. (laughs) Now, I've said what I want, and you've said what you want, and we have a way to work toward finding a middle ground. So, yeah, you're allowed to ask for whatever you want. You can say, I would prefer if you never spoke to your ex-girlfriend and then your partner might struggle with that a little bit and say but we're only friends and we've only been friends for 20 years and it's really not a threat to you and I she's important to me and then you would come back and say okay let me help you understand how it makes me feel when you speak to your ex-girlfriend see so there's no objective right or wrong there Mm -hmm. you're allowed to ask for whatever you want as long as you two can continue to negotiate and compromise through it. When you're having this conversation, if you are aware that you're in a codependent relationship 
either you're codependent, your partner's codependent, or you're, as you have mentioned earlier, you have a tendency to be codependent together. And you have this conversation, you say, I need this, because otherwise it leads to this particular behavior, you know, for example, going back to what you were just saying, I'd rather or I prefer if you didn't talk to your ex-girlfriend, because maybe that could make someone feel fairly insecure, worried, unable to trust their partner. If this partner then came back and said, well, actually, that's not something I can provide you. How do you go from there? What do you do? What would your advice be? Because surely that comes down to someone not listening to your boundaries. Again, now we're in a conversation together, right? Your partner's telling you their boundaries as well. If you have a degree of trust with someone, if you know them pretty well, and you can continue to tease out why they're saying what they're saying, there is still room there for connection. If they come back and they say very frequently and very directly, I'm not going to do that. And I'm not, I don't care about how you feel about that. That's not kind. And that's not going to leave any room for you in the relationship. But if this is a one-off and they've given it a lot of thought and they've come down to just a really strong sense of themselves, that's really good information. And yeah, maybe it does mean that this relationship can't work, but more likely it means that there's still room to keep discussing. I, I tell my, my couples that I work with often that agreeing to disagree is a really healthy place to get to. It's not an endpoint because you can't disagree very easily for the whole rest of your relationship, but it's a way of respecting each other and saying, this conversation is not done yet, but I'm, I don't have to give up myself to be in this relationship. We are still going to play with it. And very often over time, these rules that we set for each other, these lines in the sand, they end up shifting. And we don't want what we, what, what, what we wanted so much to be able to talk to my ex-girlfriend, you know, two years from now might not mean anything to me. Mm. I have read that codependency is a learned behavior. So how do we learn to be codependent? Is it a direct response as to how our parents are with us? Or are there other mediums or platforms where we learn to be codependent? Yeah, as opposed to learn, I think maybe trained is a slightly mm -hmm. better word. And yes, well, so, so my branch of psychology, I'm a, a psychodynamic psycho, psychotherapist, really believes that our, our families of origin kind of set us up for what our behavior will be for the rest of our lives. Not all psychotherapists believe so strongly in the family system, but that's where I come from. It's hard to argue with the fact that we, our personality forms in childhood and our defense mechanisms form them. And so if our family system trains us to take care of other people, to lock away our feelings, to think of ourselves as unworthy, if parents reward kids for behaviors that aren't necessarily good for them, like helping the parent deal with their own emotions um, or helping out at home, being responsible at home to the detriment of the child's own life, then the kid's going to feel that love is conditional. And it's conditional on them putting away themselves for the good of the family, right? But you're right that it's not just family members that, that affect us. Our peers do, um, our society, our culture does. So for sure, the media and our, and even like, the fairy tales that we read when we're kids um, come with this notion that romantic love is, is two people completing each other. And there's that movie, Jerry Maguire, where, where Tom Cruise says to Renee Zellweger, you complete me, which just makes my eyes roll to the back of my head. I get a lot of couples where, and not just couples, single people too, looking for someone. And they say, I just, I want someone who's going to help me be the best version of myself. And I say, 
what if you did that without a partner? <laughs> you mm. were just the best version of yourself and you were always working toward that. And then you could bring that into the relationship. Wouldn't that be lovely? Um, they learn from these romantic movies and TV shows that you're you're supposed to be intertwined, but real relationships need as much distance as they need closeness. Um, and they work best when there are these two fully formed individuals who come together as companions, not two parts of one being. Mm, I love that. How does codependency manifest in relationship? Right. This is the way that I try to, this is a visual sort of for a healthy relationship. It's two flat hands that are almost touching one another. They can feel the heat from each other, but they aren't quite connected. Whereas a visual for a codependent relationship is one in which the fingers are completely intertwined to the point where you almost can't tell which hand is which anymore. So codependent mm. relationships feel tangled up. They are smothering. There's no room to breathe in them for one reason or another. Now, I completely understand that the perfect relationship doesn't exist. But if you had to share with our audience as close to maybe as a perfect relationship you could get, is it two, as we have suggested, two independent people coming together who have their own jobs, they have their own money, they have their own friends, they spend time away, they have their own self-care routine. They're already, if you like, working on being the best versions of themselves. And then they're coming together with someone and they're just building upon the very similar dreams that they have with one another. What would you say, even maybe not a perfect, but a fantastic relationship looks like? Yeah, I think you just, to me, you just described it. That one sounds awesome. One of the things I've, I've learned in years of working with people is that it's very hard to give any kind of black and white statement. So that relationship would clearly be lovely in a lot of ways, but people can do it any darn way they want, right? So what works for one person won't work for another. So it could be where one person doesn't work and doesn't have that many activities outside of the home, and yet they still have a what we call an interdependent. That's sort of the antidote to codependency. Interdependent relationship, which means they love each other, they're connected with each other, but they don't rely on each other for their own sense of self, right? So you can be emotionally independent, even if you are don't look independent in other ways, right? So yeah, if you were looking for a formula, I would say to a young person, go out, figure out who you are, maybe date a lot and get a sense of what other people um, have to offer and who you are in different kinds of relationships. Then when you settle down, you come into it with all of this wisdom and maturity, but that's not the only way to do it. Mm -hmm. Completely. And in your experience, would you say that couples who tend to be older seem to have this figured out a little bit more because when we're younger, we're maybe not so self-aware or conscious? Sometimes. I mean, I do think that relationships that form when we're quite young can be pretty universally complicated at some point mm -hmm. there's a point at which if you say marry your high school partner where you might wake up when you're 50 and think I wonder what else might have been out there I wonder how I might have um, grown up if I hadn't been already partnered the whole time that's a very common question mm -hmm. does that mean that they're codependent and it won't work no not necessarily but the reverse is also not true that if you are a, a grown-up who gets into, you know, say you're 35 and you you settle down, that doesn't necessarily mean you've got it all figured out yet, mm -hmm. and that everything's going to work out well. It could be that you got to 35 and didn't spend a minute thinking about, you know, self improvement or growth. So there again, no hard and fast rule. Being the experts, and I understand we're not here to provide blanket statements, but if somebody were to come to you, a young Women, the majority of our audience, they are in fact young women. 
they came to you and they said, you know what, I want to take some space. I want to work on myself. I do want to figure it out. What would be your, or maybe your top three to five, however many, however many you like to be honest, Vicky, recommendations for that? Because if someone were coming to me, I would say, well, work on your boundaries, work on your self-care, maybe look in, inward, consider your inner child. What would your suggestions be? Yeah, I love those. I mean, obviously, I would say therapy. Um, I truly believe that the process of therapy is such a fantastic way for us to really get to know ourselves, to to have someone um, that you trust prodding you Mm -hmm. to look a little bit deeper than you might be able to do on your own is, I think, invaluable. Um, But even without therapy, boundaries, yes, Examining your your family of origin, trying to figure out what your role was there, looking to see if there's patterns that repeat themselves in your current relationships, even with friends, Um, learning a lot about self-care, being able to sit with your feelings. That's a big one. We are very often pushing away difficult feelings without even realizing it. I don't want to feel sad. I I certainly don't want to get angry if I'm a young woman, right? Mm -hmm. We're taught not to do that. And yet sadness, anxiety, anger, those are part of a normal range of human emotions. And so the more that we can get comfortable with feeling things, be able to identify it, know how to soothe it, build trust that we can handle our emotions and not get overly reactive to them, then we get to accept all the pieces of ourselves and really see them more clearly. Now, we've talked a little bit about being in a fantastic relationship, a healthy relationship. I'd love to explore a little bit this dynamic because we were talking a little bit of, you know, you said earlier, Vicky, well, someone will come to you and they'll say, oh, I'm looking for somebody to complete me who's going to encourage me to be the best version of myself. And quite rightly, your reply, your response was almost, well, why can't you become this person almost on your own? Do you think it's very common for people, but young women in particular, to enter relationships and they think they have fallen in love with that person, but actually they've fallen in love with the person they have become either during the relationship or in the process of dating this person? Is that a common thing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, therapy, psychology believes that we are drawn to repeating the patterns from our childhood. It's a, a, what's it called? Repetition compulsion. Mm -hmm. And we what that means is if something, if we were sort of yearning for something from our parent, we are looking to recreate that situation in our adult life so we can fix it and get it right finally, get the love that we deserve, which means that we very often marry someone or get in a relationship with someone who we think is the polar opposite of that difficult parent. And a year later, we wake up and go, oh my God, he's my dad. You know, so um, that's not exactly what you asked, but we fall in love with people for all sorts of sort of um, unconscious reasons. We love who we are with them. We love who we think they are, even though we don't know them yet. We are drawn to this idea that this will be the one that proves that I'm lovable. Mm -hmm. If I can get them, you know, if they're withdrawn, but they actually love me, even if they're kind of hurting me while they're withdrawing, that makes me feel like I'm worthy of love. Uh, So there's lots of unconscious patterns going on when we're looking for relationships. Again, why getting to know yourself and your patterns can be really helpful in sidestepping some of these kind of danger zones. Are there any questions we can ask ourselves to challenge our tendency to be codependent? Yeah. Yeah. If you wonder if you're being codependent, you can ask yourself, Am I doing what I actually want to be doing here? And more importantly, what am I afraid will happen if I ask for what I want? 
Mm. Because then it really brings up our um, concerns about our partner's inability to handle us setting that boundary. You might also ask, like, is this my job? Is this my responsibility or is it my partner's? Or if I'm upset with them, is it about what's best for them or is it about what's best for me or how it will reflect on me? Yeah. And again, like, what are my own needs in this situation and how can I? I take care of them. Mm. One thing that I love that you said earlier, right at the beginning, is almost thinking, well, where do almost you end and Mm -hmm. I begin? Could you go in a little bit? uh, Could you go into further detail? What exactly does that mean? It's really just about the idea that their moods, their behavior, their actions, Um, If I'm getting too wrapped up in them, then I've forgotten that they're a separate human being from me. Mm. So, for instance, codependency. So now we're not talking about a normal relationship. I shouldn't use the word normal. A bounded relationship here where, of course, if my, my partner's going through a really hard time, I'm affected by that. But codependency is um, they're using and I'm going to stay home all day to take care of them, or I'm going to turn my life upside down to cover for them. Um, They're overworking. And so I'm going to quit my job so I can take care of everything at home to make sure that they're okay. They're mad at me. And so I cannot stop thinking about that all day because they're vision of me is my vision of me and if they're mad at me I must be not I must not have any worth anymore they're playing games with me and I'm afraid to say I'm not interested in that because I think they might get upset or they might leave those are all ways in which I've kind of forgotten about who I am as a separate entity if anyone is listening to this and they're thinking oh my gosh Vicky this is me I'm totally codependent I'm in a codependent relationship Do you think it is possible to completely change? And if so, other than therapy, what are some ways that someone can start to change? What would be maybe, what would their first step be? I have a lot to say about this. I like this direction because we always want to be thinking about, you know, sort of the positive steps that we can Mm -hmm. take. A lot of self-help, self-help, I think, focuses a little bit maybe too much on the problem and not enough on the solution because solutions are hard because as you said it's pretty tough to change right and so if you're going to ask me can someone completely change I would say yes and no right change means you have to uh, you have to really want to change Um, you have to work really hard to understand the roots of the behavior you have to practice the new behavior, you have to be okay with failing because most of us do kind of come back to our stuff uh, over and over and over again. So Mm -hmm. long-term utter change, probably not, but that's okay. Being a work in progress is kind of a lovely thing and being more conscious of what we're trying to work on is like more than half of the battle, right? Mm -hmm. So you asked, what can we do? When we're working on ourselves, what we, we're, we're giving up on the idea that we can fix somebody else. I believe that when you trust your partner to take care of themselves, to be able to handle it, if you set a boundary, you're actually honoring them. You're giving them a lot of respect and treating them like a grown-up. Um, this will help you to stop backing down, stop avoiding conflict, stop giving in and rescuing. So you want to remember, never take more than 50% of the responsibility for a relationship with another adult. Mm. And the antidote, the, the, like, the number one cure that people talk about for setting boundaries probably comes down to um, you know, Al-Anon, which is a 12-step program for people who have a family member who's addicted, came up with this term, detach with love. And it kind of says it all. It's a way of still loving someone and being connected to them. You're not closing them off, but you're taking enough of an emotional step back that you're not losing yourself by caring for them. You're not engulfed by the feelings. 
or the reactions to them. And you detach with love by working on your sense of self, your self-esteem, and knowing who you are. Feeling worthless is core to codependency. Mm-hmm. So knowing our worth allows us to set boundaries. And worthless is kind of a strong, you don't have to feel utterly worthless, but but losing your sense of what you're worth is core to, to codependency. I want to talk a little bit about setting boundaries. because Please do. It really has two steps, okay? There's setting the boundary. And then there's being able to tolerate everybody's reactions to that. A lot of times people, yeah, they work so hard on being able to say the thing they want to say, and then they say it and the world blows up. And then they're Mm -hmm. like, well, now what do I do? So an example might be like, I I worked with a woman who she wanted to go to Christmas dinner. And typically in her family, everybody talks about weight and what you're eating and nitpicking what you're putting in your mouth, right? So she, we worked for a long time on her feeling like she could go in there and say, I would rather not talk about food or weight at dinner. I really want to enjoy my food and I want to enjoy the company. <laughs> and she built up her courage and she went and she said that. So she comes back into me in the next session and she said, my sister just lost it. She was so hurt and insulted and felt like I was criticizing her and then it all fell apart and I felt guilty so now what so then we started working on that second step which is communication is about you saying clearly what you need you are not responsible for how somebody hears that Mm -hmm. and so I have to work on continuing to hand it back to them. You can be nice. You can, this is the with love part, right? You with love, you say, I'm so sorry that it came across that way. I did not mean that at all. What I meant was blah, blah, blah. And then the detachment, you leave it, you leave it there. If your sister is freaking out about that, that's kind of not your fault or problem. That's her work to do on herself. That piece of detachment, that takes a lot of practice. And I want to take one almost for the team here, because I know a lot of women and also women who I see on social media and who I hear from, and they are smart, sexy, funny, very highly intelligent, empathetic, very conscious women. They are working on themselves. They have goals. They have their own you know, means they're financially stable, maybe they own a property or investment, et cetera. And they really, really struggle when it comes to relationships because over and over and over again, they are finding that maybe men aren't not living up to their standard, but they're struggling with maybe how ultra independent they are. It's almost a shock to the system. I love having these conversations talking about realizing who we are in relationship. What do we bring to the table? What do we need to work on? How do we set boundaries? How do we cultivate and build a healthy relationship? It must be so hard for all of the women I'm hearing from. And I have been in this position as well, just dating, finding that men actually are feeling perhaps a little intimidated by all of this going on. And it's quite a shock to the system. So being the expert. What would you say to all of my girls out there listening to this? I'd say having high standards means that you are knowing what's right for you and what you're waiting for, and it's worth the wait. Um, It is harder having high standards, but that doesn't mean that we should lower them, right? And I know that there are plenty of men out there who actually do want an equal partner equal or even more so, who are excited by women who are um, forging new ground for women. It is a tough time because there's a lot of um, lip service given to equality and women's independence, and yet there's an awful lot of um, culture that is still dependent on the old stereotypes, right? That the woman is going to raise the children and that she's going to make less money and that she's going to stay home and take care of her husband. And so you guys are in a really tough moment in history because you're not willing to put up with that. And yet not everybody is as enlightened as you are. So, you know, 
my heart goes out to you, but I will tell you that every person that I have ever worked with in the years of my work who has really wanted a relationship has found it. It takes time, it takes effort, but they're out there. Amazing. Are there any statements or phrases we can use to set boundaries in relationship? One good one is um, just say, that sounds really hard. Full stop. Some other statements. Let's see. We have to, um, we have to know that we are powerless over other people. Uh, that's like, I love you, but I can't fix this for you. We have to know that our emotional state is not tied to what somebody else does, says, thinks, feels, wears, drinks, any of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Our um, emotional state is ours. It's interior. And that our belief that we are worthy and have value does not change based on what other people do or say. Mm. Our boundaries, is that the antidote to codependency? Yeah, certainly one of them. Yes. I mean, I think anything that I went into, any other skills, like don't say yes unless you really mean to say yes. Mm. Um, Working on emotional regulation, working on, again, saying no and being able to tolerate how the other person responds to it. Those are all different ways of saying having boundaries. So, yeah, I think that's it. I'd love to know, Vicky, what is your favorite quote or the mantra you live by? <laughs> um, there are many, actually, but I really love, there's a famous psychiatrist and author named Irvin Yalom, and he always said, um, I wish that I had become an I before I had become a we. And that's great for codependency, right? We got to work on ourselves before we move to the relationship. And what books or podcasts on this subject would you recommend to our audience? Um, Sue Johnson's work is great. It's not specifically about codependency, but she has books. One of them is Hold Me Tight and another one is Love Sense. And they talk about secure attachment. So that's how to be close, but without smothering and how to be independent while still turning towards each other. Um, and then Lindsay... C. Gibson has a book called Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, and that um, helps people see how their family systems have affected their sense of themselves and how kids who take care of their parents miss out on figuring out what their own needs are. Thank you, Vicky, so much for coming on to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast. It was wonderful to have you here today. I so appreciate the time and getting to uh, meet you. It's been Thank you for listening to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast. I am your host, Scarlett V. Clark, award-winning founder and CEO of Smart Girl Tribe, the UK's number one female empowerment organization, host of this top-rated podcast, the Smart Girl Tribe podcast, and author. You are my community, my family, so come and follow along for more female empowerment and personal development in our private Facebook group, the Smart Girl Tribe Society, or on Twitter or Instagram at Smart Girl Tribe.